Welcome to another installment of Technically It Is Real on NorthCoastUnderground.com and on Spotify. I am your host, Tyrell Jackson, and this is the show where we keep it real. Here on this show, we talk about wrestling, football, basketball, baseball, and everything in between. We shoot straight from the hip and do not pull on any punches. So just sit back, relax, grab your favorite drink or snack, and enjoy the show. Because this is Technically It Is Real. Oh yes, on a beautiful cold Saturday here in Valley View, Ohio, this is T-I-R, Technically It Is Real, here on North Coast Underground. Thank you all for watching, thank you all for listening, appreciate it, and this right here is episode 19. Can you believe it? 19 installments of Technically It Is Real, dating all the way back in July, where we had the rough, rough, rough beginnings, to now... More confident, more smooth, more of yours truly, me, Tyrell Jackson. Welcome to the show. So look, gotta say it. First off, thank you all again for listening, for watching, for sharing, for encouraging, for the words of encouragement, for the criticisms, anything like that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning. Thank you all for being a part of this journey. So before we get things started, got a couple of announcements and I'll announce it throughout the day or whatever it may be, but we got a couple of announcements nonetheless. Next week, February 12th, the day before the Super Bowl, this is a huge announcement here for TIR. Technically, it is real. The 12th, February 12th, we have not one, because we don't do one-hour shows here, not two, because we do do two-hour shows, three-hour Super Bowl extravaganza here for Technically It Is Real, right here live on North Coast Underground. The replay will obviously be on Spotify. It'll be the 20th installment. Got some guests coming on to help out. We're going to talk about best Super Bowl moments, underrated Super Bowl moments, games, previewing the game, everything in between. If it's Super Bowl talk, we're doing it here on Technically It Is Real next Saturday. You definitely do not want to miss out on that show at all. It is going to be the second three-hour show that this show has ever done. And it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. I have been waiting to announce that for a minute, but let's announce it now. We're going to announce it throughout the show. We're going to promote it throughout the week. You definitely do not want to miss out on this show next week at all. You don't want to miss out on this show either because we're going to start off with Jobber of the Week. Y'all know what Jobber of the Week is. You got to be the biggest idiot, biggest dummy, whatever is going on in the in the world of sports, the world of life, whatever it may be. And I think if you have been keeping up with the news if you have been keeping up with the news you know what jobber of the week is it's brian flores it's hugh jackson it's the miami dolphins it's the cleveland browns it's the nfl it's the washington commanders a football team washington whatever whatever you want to call them they are jobbers of the week because we gots to get it going on because we got to talk about it. We got to talk about Brian Flores suing the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the NFL for racial injustices, for suing them about the Rooney Rule and the violation of the Rooney Rule. Also, we got to talk about Bill Belichick sending the text message to the wrong Brian. If Bill Belichick would have just checked his contacts just a little bit closer, trust and believe me, we probably would not be having this situation right now. But, oh, we got it because they done pissed off Brian Flores to the absolute max. Yes, they did, ladies and gentlemen but then we got more we got we got bets we got incentives we got 
We got all this stuff going on, and then we still got the Washington Commanders now, which they announced on the second that they're going to be the Washington Commanders. That got to be the worst branding you can do. Let's talk. We're going we to we talk about the Flores stuff. We're going to talk about Let's talk about the Washington Commanders. That's what y'all came up with? Y'all had a better chance coming up with the Redskins Potatoes. That Commanders, same jerseys. Y'all just added a black jersey. Ooh. Black jersey, whoa, it says commanders across the, the jersey, look at it, it says commanders, oh my god, Woo-hoo. what a rebrand, you had two years to rebrand, two years, and that is the best you came up with, Dan Snyder, you bum, you bum, bum, you, you paid that much money for that rebrand, it's the same W, same font, same logo, just commanders, commanders, that's it, oh, Yay, Commanders. You know, this is, come on. So now you're the Washington Commies, and then people will get offended, and then you're going to have to change your name again, and then you're going to have to reband it. Congratulations. Woo. Yay. So, nonetheless, oh, Oldberg is back? Goldberg is back? I just I just got a notification. Goldberg is back? Boo. Okay, moving on. But, uh, yeah, so... We got the commanders doing the same crap. We got the commanders out here working with the NFL about hiding those emails. Surprise, surprise. We knew it was happening. We knew we knew it. We knew it. Is anybody surprised that it's, it's collusion and is and, and is working together between the, the Washington football team, commanders, whatever the hell you want to call them, and Roger Goodell in the NFL? Of course it is. Roger Goodell didn't like what John Gruden had to say about him, so he exposed him. But the rest of those 650,000 emails are not going to be out there, and now Congress is involved. So, you know, instead of wasting or using Congress resources to worry about the things that needs to be worried about about this country, we're worried about the Washington commanders, and if they... If, if all this other crap, because the NFL won't release the emails, because they know what the deal is. Plain and simple, they know what the deal is. They know what the deal is. But we, we, come on. Every time the commanders come out with some news stories, something bigger happens. Flores suing. Hugh Jackson hopping on the train. Let me talk about this cancerous guy real quick about this, because, you know what? No, 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 no. We're going we gonna to go in order, because trust me, we're going to talk about Hugh Jackson. Oh, we got to talk about Hugh Jackson because mm, mm, Hugh Jackson, Hugh, you are the man. Apparently, good luck, Grambling State. That's all I got to say about that. But nonetheless, Brian Flores claims that Stephen Ross, owner of the Miami Dolphins, were offering a hundred thousand dollar incentives to lose each game during the 2019 season. And if you know about the 2019 Miami Dolphins, that team was absolutely dog water trash. It really was like they were not a good team at all. And the fact that Brian Flores coached that team to five and 11 and they got the third overall pick and still got to a tongue of Iloa. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. The coaching job that Brian Flores did, but it makes sense. How does this make sense? One, the team was stripped from the ground up. They weren't the best team out there to begin with, but then you trade Ryan Fitzpatrick and Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick and Kenny Stills and uh, Kirk Alonzo. You trade all those guys in between in between July and October of 2019. Matter of fact, even a little bit further than that, because I think Tannehill got traded in like March or April of 2019. So that makes sense. You walked in 2019 with no structural quarterback, none. None. I, th- I think who's a quarterback? Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think I don't even think Ryan Fitzpatrick was there at that time. So you got you got that going on. You got this team starting off zero and seven. They started off that year getting blown out fifty nine to ten against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Um, 
ridiculous, ridiculous. And the fact that they had won at the starting off 0-7, and the starting off 0-7 that year, they finished 5-11, and they finished with a winning record that year. Brian Flores, I knew right then and there was the truth because, my God, that Miami team should have went 0-16. I really thought Miami was going to go 0-16 that year. But Brian Flores coached that team no matter what. But the reason why Stephen Ross was offering the incentives to Brian Flores about losing and the general manager was behind it was because the team wanted a better draft position. Was well, shocker, right? But now we got money involved and we got evidence of money being involved. It also doesn't help Stephen Ross's case, even though he has back uh, has has shot a fire out there as well, talking about uh, Brian Flores is lying and his defamation and he has integrity, this and the third. Well, it doesn't help around the time that you was offering those incentives, Stephen Ross, that you had invested in a sports gambling upstart around the same time that you offered those incentives. Oh, wait, but there's more. There's more because now we got to go back a couple of years. Now we got to go back to our beloved Cleveland Browns. Now, why is the Cleveland Browns in this as well? Oh, boy. Because bald-headed, cancerous D-bag, Hugh Jackson, this guy, this idiot, this bum, I don't care if he's respected or whatever it may be, he's not respected here in Cleveland at all. He can be respected by Chad Johnson and Joe Flacco, you know, blah, blah, blah. But he's not respected here in Cleveland, Ohio. You got paid incentives to tank as well? Is that why you went 1-31? I mean, it kind of makes sense. We traded a lot of guys away, kind of the same thing. We, we, we all knew we were tanking. But I don't think they were expecting to tank that bad. And let's say you do got the receipts that you say you do. You got the receipts. Oh, I got the receipts. Look at me. You know, I'm Hugh Jackson. Yeah, I got the receipts. Yeah, I got the receipts. You know, that I got receipts. I got evidence that they pay me money. Why, as a NFL head coach, would you take that money? Why would you take that money? Why would you sit back and be like, oh, well, you know, oh, my God, they they offered me money. It made me feel uncomfortable. It made me feel uncomfortable as a head coach. I said, what is this? Oh, my God, what is this? What is this? This don't make no sense. Incentives and, and plans for tanking and losing? Why would I agree to do this? But you took the money. You took the money. You got evidence and receipts that they offered you the money. And you lost. You lost. You lost. Plain and simple. And you lost in that fashion. The worst two years in NFL history. Not even the 2007 to 2008 Detroit Lions can say that. Not even. And the Detroit Lions in 08 went 0-16. Not even them can say they had that bad of a two-year stretch. And we're talking about the Detroit Lions, ladies and gentlemen. They suck. They absolutely suck. One playoff win since 1958. They suck. They absolutely suck. And they didn't even have a um, two-year run like that. That was historically bad. It was one of those two-year runs where the Browns sucked as it was. The Browns sucked as it was, and they still found a way to make it worse. They still found a way to make it worse. Come on. Come on. And you're going to sit back and say, that's incentives? Oh, they offered you an incentive? Let's say they did. I can't put it past Jimmy Haslam. He's been in trouble with the law before. 
He almost got this team taken away within five years of him owning it because he was in trouble with the law with his Poly J company. So I can't put it, I'm not going to put it past him. I'm not going to put it past Sashi Brown. Even though I don't think Sashi Brown had anything to do with it. Remember, you wanted AJ McCarron, Hugh. Not Sashi. Sashi fell on that sword. And when Sashi fell on that sword, we got Nick Chubb out of that the next year. Mm. Mm. So let's say you did. Let's say Jimmy has him offered those incentives, offer those bonuses. Let's say, let's say he did. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, so you, you want to explain to me why you took that money then? <laughs> or if you didn't take the money, you just look like a bigger idiot. Because let's say Jimmy Haslam offers you $50,000. let us say it's half of what Brian Flores is getting per loss in 2019. Let's say it was $50,000 that Jimmy Haslam was offering. And you go 1-15 in, in 2016. And then you go 0-16 in, in 2017. That's 31 losses. Let's Actually, let's keep this really, really simple. Let's keep this really, really simple. Let's say it is 100000 That's 31 losses. Losses that you decided to take that's millions of dollars in incentives. So let's say you did take it, you basically took three million dollars. You basically took three million dollars to go one and 31 and become the worst head coach in NFL history. Excuse me, technically the second worst head coach, but let's. Let's be real here. In modern history, the worst head coach in NFL history. You have the second lowest winning percentage in NFL history amongst head coaches. That is disgusting. Let's say you did take that money, Hugh. Congratulations, you got your extra $3 million on top of the $10 million that you that you grabbed when you walked out the door. Let's say, let's say you were an idiot and didn't take the money. Let's say, oh, I didn't take the money. We don't know if you did take the money. All you said was that you got evidence that you got offered it. Nobody knows that you didn't take it. Now, we know Brian Flores didn't take the money because Brian Flores got integrity. Brian Flores has accountability. Brian Flores is an actual head coach, not you, Hugh. So, let's say you didn't take that money, right? Let's say you didn't take that money. That means you just suck as a head coach. That means the incentives don't matter. That means you sucked on your own because I don't care how much they blew that team up. The 2016-2017 Cleveland Browns is equivalent to the 2019 Miami Dolphins. And one head coach got five wins out of them and the other one got two. No, sorry, excuse me. One in two years. Mm. Mm. Ain't that crazy. Ain't that crazy. <laughs> Come on, you. Come on, you. Come on, Hugh. Let's think about this. Let's say you did not take those incentives. Let's say you didn't take that money. But you got evidence that they did offer it to you. That means you suck. That's what it boils down to. You suck. As a coach, as a head coach at an NFL level, I don't know how you're going to do at Grambling State. I don't know. You might be able to do good. I'm always a proponent of... Of professional coaches being better off in college atmospheres than college coaches being better off in pro atmospheres. That's just my opinion because they've been at that level. They can relate to the kids and be like, hey, I've been at this level. Let me see. I can take you to that level. I know what it's like to be at that level. I got connections, yada, yada, yada. 
So we'll see what he'll do in Grambling State. Oh, I'll be watching very closely, Hugh. I'll be watching very closely, but come on now. Come on. This, this, this is ridiculous. Hugh just wanted to get on the gravy train. He was like, ah, well, here comes my 15 minutes of fame. Jabroni. Bum. Bum, 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 bum. Jabron. Absolutely jabroni. We got the NFL deleting articles off their website about this stuff, about witnesses hearing, knowing that Stephen Ross offered these incentives. It shows that the NFL protects their owners at all costs. Hence why these 650,000 emails do not get released. And when we come back, we are going to talk about <laughs> the tenure of Roger Goodell because Roger Goodell got a lot of scandals. He has a lot of scandals uh, in his time frame since he became commissioner back in 2007. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages. This is Technically It Is Real here on North Coast Underground. We will be right back. Want to be the next TV or radio star? Do you want to go somewhere that is affordable and fun? Then come to the Ohio Media School where broadcasting careers begin. Our instructors are top-notch working professionals in the field. OMS has student-ran internet radio stations that will get your foot in the door. Ohio Media School is located in Valley View, Ohio. For more information, call us at 216-503-5900 or go to beyondair.com. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You've messed up your daughter's haircut. Do you A, get spiritual? Mom, where's the mirror? Beauty is within. Oh. B, find the positives. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or C, show empathy. Mom, you really don't have twinsies. I kind of love it. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on adoption, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Let's go inside the mind of a 10-year-old. I should have worn earrings today. Buckle up, Sarah. Michaela's got, like, the best earrings. Sarah, buckle up. I wish my name was Michaela. We're not hitting the road until you buckle up, honey. Oh, yeah. Seatbelt. I wonder if there's pizza at school today. It can be tough getting through to kids, but it's your job to make sure they're wearing your seatbelts. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. And we are back here on Technically It Is Real. Again, this is Tyrell Jackson speaking to you all. So let's get into Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell has been the commissioner of the NFL since 2007. And my God, the scandals keep piling up. Now, we know about Paygate, as I'm going to call it right now, Paygate. We know about Deflategate and Bountygate and Spygate and Doggate and, and God, we got all these gates. So let's let's just break it down to it. Let's start off with Doggate. If you don't know what Doggate is, I mean, come on, Michael Vick. Thank you. Enough said. So we all know what happened with Michael Vick. 
um, and everything like that. You know, back in 2007, gets caught with the dog fighting ring, serves 18 months in prison, uh, comes back and has a solid second half of his career. Spygate also happened under his watch. Spygate, very simple. Spygate was the Patriots getting caught looking on the sidelines of everybody else like, hey, yo, look, here we go. Here we go. We watching. We watching. We know your hand signals. Yup. We know everything. And it's crazy because Spygate happened also in 2007 where the New England Patriots had went 16-0 and that year and was one win away and a helmet catch and a Plasco Burris touchdown away from being the first and really would have been the only 19-0 and team in NFL history and would have been just the second team in NFL history to finish the season off undefeated uh, all the way through, 110% all the way through. So, um, you know, that happened as well, and it kind of tarnished those rings that the Patriots had got uh, three out of the four that they had gotten back in 2001, 2003, and 2004, respectively, um, as far as the, the, the years that the season had fell, not the necessarily the calendar years. But, um, you know, nonetheless, the, the, the New England Patriots spygate happened. Um, Bounty Gate, if you don't remember Bounty Gate, if you don't remember Bounty Gate, again, kind of similar to what – is going on right now with the Brian Flores situation, but it was just a little bit different. Instead of an, an incentive of losing, there was an incentive of headhunting against quarterbacks in the playoffs during the Saints Super Bowl run back in 2009-2010, where Greg Williams and Sean Payton, which Sean Payton had knew about it, but Greg Williams overall was the one who offered the incentives, basically set back and was like, hey, take these quarterbacks out, play tough defense, take them out, you're going to get a bonus in your check. You're going to get a bonus in your check. Sean Payton knew about it. Um, Sean Payton knew about it. The um, uh, the NFL dug in and punished him, took some draft picks, suspended Sean Payton for a year. Uh, Greg Williams got suspended indefinitely, but then came back like after a couple of years and everything like that. So, Bounty Gate happened. Oh, yeah, another thing that happened, the Ray Rice incident. Oh, yeah, that was a fun time in NFL history. And uh, they kind of... Kind of like the Ray Rice incident kind of like led to them having a tougher stance on domestic violence. But nonetheless, how he handled the Ray Rice incident was done absolutely poorly. I mean, for starters, you got you got, um, you know, you got him suspending him for only two games or whatever it may be. Uh, saying there's no evidence, and then when the evidence comes out, when TMZ, which you know, if TMZ released some stuff, you know, it's it's gonna be some stuff because they somehow, some way, find a way to get stuff first. I don't, I don't know what they do. I think they just got like some secret agents going around or something like that. I mean, God only knows how TMZ get their sources, but nonetheless, like TMZ released the the um <clears throat> the footage of of Ray Rice knocking out his uh, his now wife and um uh, on the elevator and everything like that. So. So, you know, um, you know, and, and, and Roger Goodell basically said uh, he didn't know anything about it, which it, when I look at that interview and I looked at it last night when I look at that interview that he had, I think it was uh, if I'm if my memory served me right. I know I did watch it last night, but it was uh, CBS this morning or something like that. I know he did the interview with CBS and they basically said that, hey, 
you know, did you know about these tapes before it got released to the public? And he says, no, I didn't release the tape. The man was blinking a mile a minute and trying to avoid eye contact. And, and then, you know, the NFL comes out and goes, no, we didn't know about the tapes beforehand. And I think it's BS because, I mean, you can tell on Roger Goodell's face that he was lying. He was red in the face. I mean, dude was redder than a tomato in the summertime. Like, my God. You know, the man was red. And he was like, no, I never seen it. You know, no, we don't have any evidence of that at all. You know, we hired our own private investigator and stuff like that and no we never did it and i'm just like dude can you make eye contact for three seconds can you make eye contact for three seconds and the crazy part about it is is that ray rice got blackballed out of the nfl after that and i'm not sitting back and condoning ray rice and his actions at all but there's there's two things that i get from from the whole ray rice incident one it was handled poorly it's really three things but one it was handled poorly you know you do the two-game suspension until the video comes out and then you got to do it for the rest or whatever it may be that's number one two you can tell by recent interviews of ray rice that ray rice had learned his lesson and that it was a, a fatal mistake and everything like that not condoning the actions at all whatsoever but you know something like that you, you got to learn from it and everything like that his his now wife uh uh, uh had accepted it and, and forgave him for it and everything like that. And that's kind of hard for, one, it's kind of hard for any woman to do that or anybody in general to do that. But to do that in such a public limelight is pretty impressive. And kind of knew she forgave him when they got married a month after the incident happened. So, and like... Goodell handled that poorly. He handled the Greg Hardy incident poorly. But Greg Hardy had got another job and Ray Rice didn't. It was kind of like this weird thing where Ray Rice got blackballed or whatever it may be. The Colin Kaepernick thing happened. Now, we all know about the Colin Kaepernick thing. I don't need to break that down too much. We know what happened with that, how it happened. And my, my thing is, like, for real, for real, to be honest with you, to an extent, both parties are at fault for this. The NFL is at fault for blackballing him. Like, there's no doubt about them blackballing Kaepernick whatsoever. Did I mean, it's clear evidence that he got blackballed. It's no way you can sit back and say the NFL and the, all these teams blackballed him and stuff like that. Even though the Ravens did give him a chance and stuff like that. And then his ex-girlfriend had to get online talking about some uh, Steve Bashotti or whatever his name is. The owner of the... Um, of um, the Baltimore Ravens was a racist and all this other stuff. So that ruined his opportunity fast. Um, so, I mean, it was like one or two teams that actually gave him opportunity. It's just the workouts didn't happen. Or, you know, his ex-girlfriend get on Twitter talking about how racist somebody is and everything like that when he, they literally was considering bringing him onto the roster. Um, but I also say it's low-key Kaepernick's fault, too, because when the NFL – and I and I will sit back and say this real quick. It was a poor – Last second, last minute type thing for the NFL to do this big old scouting thing or whatever it may be. But if I'm Colin Kaepernick and I'm actually like saying this entire time, like, hey, I want to go back into the NFL. I want to be one of the one of the 32 teams to sign me on, even as for a backup or whatever it may be to even have a chance. The NFL did set up training facilities. They set up. They set it up in Atlanta, the Atlanta's new training facilities. They they set up NFL Network crews and ESPN crews to film the thing nationally. Time slots filled up and everything. Those time slots are not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, they did all of that. They had they had 28 different pro scouts come into the event, including the Cleveland Browns, including the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers, actually showing up. 28 out of 32 teams were actually going to show up to this workout. And at the last second... Kaepernick drops that workout and holds a private workout at a high school or across town. To me, that that's kind of your fault, bro. That's kind of your fault. Like, 
I understand it's not the circumstances that you want it in. I understand that you want to control the narrative. But if you want a job, that probably would have been your best bet to get a job. And when that had happened, I knew it was over for him anyway. So <clears throat> that's kind of like where I blame Kaepernick on that one. Some people will agree with me on that one. I do not care. This is my show. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't care. It's just one of those things where it's like if you know you need a job, and you get an opportunity when you had been already blackballed for what I think a year and a half, two years prior to them doing it. And I know it was last minute, last second, but they did set it up nonetheless. It's like to just just go to it and do it, you know what I'm saying? And then it's like you you control the narrative even better because if the NFL last minute or not, if the NFL did all of this, if the NFL had did all of this, and you still didn't get signed by a team. Then you can make the legitimate case that it's their fault. Now you got people like me who sit back and go, well, you could have just took the workout instead of trying to control the narrative by canceling the workout at the last second. When I say the last second, I mean there the crews were set up, the, 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 the scouts were set up, the workouts were set up. Everything was set up right then and there. Ready to go. They were just waiting on this man to walk through the door to start filming and start and start scouting and stuff like that. And he basically was like, ah, no, I'm going to this high school over here. Y'all figure out where it is and stuff like that. And some teams did go to that. But I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like the same equivalence of, you know, somebody is somebody sets you up for a job interview. It can be last minute or not. Somebody sets you up for a job interview. And you go, yeah, I go, you know what I'm saying? We we talking, you know, yeah, I go, you know what I'm saying? And this guy's like, hey, you know, you say you haven't had a job in a, in a while. I got this interview for you. And then at the last second, you go, yeah, uh, let, let's have the interview at Dairy Queen. How do you expect to get a job? It's the, sa- it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? We got Deflategate. I have complained about Deflategate on this show plenty of times. How do you write a 400-page Article, document, whatever the hell it is on deflated footballs. But we can't release no emails? Not named John Gruden? What, what, what is this? What is this? Deflate gate happened under Roger Goodell. And now this. Now what is going on? Owners offering incentives, uh, incentives to lose. We got teams left and right, which has been happening every year, about the Rooney rule being violated. The fact that Eric Bieniemy still does not have a head coaching job is absolutely blasphemy. Absolutely atrocious. The man should have been had a job in the NFL as a head coach. The fact that we only have one, not two, not four, one black head coach in the NFL. The fact that we only got about two to three minorities in general as head coaches of the NFL. I think that's crazy. Guys like Airbnb, guys like Deuce Staley should be getting more opportunities. DeMarco Ryan, more opportunities. Leslie Frazier only got one opportunity in Minnesota and did a solid job for a bad roster. I mean, for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? It, it To me, it makes no sense how these guys, Leslie Frazier and Brian Flores and, and Eric Bieniemy and, and Deuce Staley and De, uh, DeMarco Ryan do not have head coaching jobs. I, 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 it, I don't get it. I don't get it. But a guy like Nathaniel Hackett, no offense to him, but we know that he rode the coattails of Aaron Rodgers to a job in Denver. We knew that. That's not a surprise. That was shocker. Yeah. Nathaniel Hackett, offensive coordinator behind Aaron Rodgers. 
The guy in Aaron Rodgers' ear gets a job. But the guy in Mahomes' ear and everybody else's ear does not get the job. Yeah, that makes sense. The guy who has offensive coordinated the team to, what, three, two or three NFC championship games and did not advance to the Super Bowl versus an offensive coordinator that has been to the Super Bowl and has called the most important calls in their Super Bowl win? Mm, yeah, that guy don't have a job. I think that is absolute BS if you ask me. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy to me. The fact that we only got one black head coach. One. That's it. That's it. One. And we got, what, about two or three minority co- head coaches in general in the NFL. Tomlin. What is it? Tomlin. I think Flores. Uh, not Brian. Uh, Sala. Robert Sala. You know, I, I, I think that's it. I think that's it. Rich Bashadi doesn't have a job. The fact that Rich Bashadi does not have a job. Does not have a job. My God. The man coached this Raiders team from despair to a playoff appearance. The fact that he doesn't have a job as a head coach. I thought he would have been, if it wasn't Jim Caldwell, I thought he would be excellent for Jacksonville to bring in some stability and discipline and some accountability for a locker room that is broken up and torn apart. That has no accountability. That has no standards. That has nothing. They have nothing. What does Jacksonville have? Trevor Lawrence? James Robinson? That's it? No accountability. Nothing. Nothing. No structure. No discipline. No nothing. That is what the Jacksonville Jaguars locker room is. And you bring in a Doug Peterson, which I'm not disliking the hire at all. I, th- I thought it was a solid hire. Bring in a former NFL quarterback to groom Trevor Lawrence and a head coach that has won a Super Bowl. I'm not knocking that at all. But no Jim Caldwell, no no Brian Leftwich. Brian Leftwich should have a job. Everybody talking about Brian Leftwich riding the coattails of Tom Brady. Brian Leftwich was a good offense coordinator with Jameis Winston, that quarterback, when Jameis Winston was blind. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. None of these guys that can bring some structure and discipline. I don't know what Doug Peterson can do at that level. As far as structure and discipline and all that stuff. And I'm not saying he's a bad head coach or a bad leader of men. I'm just saying like a lot of the decisions, especially towards the end of his tenure there in Philadelphia, was ran by Howie Roseman. Not him. So the test is really like, what the hell? How do you not hire Jim Caldwell, Rich Bashadi, or Brian Leftwich? I do not get how those three men do not have a job in the NFL at a head coach level. I don't get it at all. We'll be right back after these messages. This is ridiculous. We got we got uh, this week in sports history and everything like that. We'll be right back here on Technically It Is Real here on North Coast Underground. We'll be right back. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I was sensitive to lights and sounds, so I built secret hiding places where they couldn't get in. Sometimes, I did the same things over and over, until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Technically It Is Real. So for the first time in about about a month, month and some change, we are actually going to do this week in sports history. So we haven't done this segment in a little bit. We're going to go from today all the way down to February 11th. I don't know if I'm going to do this segment next week. It might be like a little break in between or whatever it may be. But nonetheless, we're going to do this uh, right here, right now. So let's start off with today. Back in 1969, Vince Lombardi became part owner, vice president, general manager, and head football coach for the Washington Redskins. Back in 1969, shortly, it was about a year after he had decided to retire and become general manager of the Green Bay Packers. He decided he wanted to get back into coaching. Washington took the opportunity of a lifetime to grab him. Uh, unfortunately, Vince Lombardi would just pass away just two years after uh, this hiring. Um, If I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe it was due to cancer, but nonetheless, he did uh, pass away uh, two years after taking this job. Back in 1989, 20 years later, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar becomes the very first NBA player to score 38,000 points. He is still the all-time leader in in, in scoring points overall. Um, for the National Basketball Association. Uh, a couple of Super Bowls happened on this day as well. Super Bowl 40, Ford Field, Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Seattle Seahawks 21-10. The MVP of that game was Heinz Ward. That happened back in the calendar year of 2006. And that game is a little controversial because there's a lot of calls that should not have been called that was called on Seattle. And it seemed like everything was like the perfect storm for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers to win the Super Bowl. And I think you know, a lot of people was like, hey, this this is rigged. This is not right. Uh, there was even a play where um, I believe it was Ben Roethlisberger. He got into the end zone, but he never really crossed the pile line. But they say he did. And then, like, I think it was like a challenge or something like that. And then the play stood. So, I mean, a lot of people feel like that, that game was rigged. That was Seattle's very first Super Bowl appearance. Uh, also happened 10 years ago today. Giants had beat the New England Patriots two out of four years, Super Bowl 46, and that game is amazing. We're going to go into that game for sure uh, next week, so you definitely don't want to miss out on that. That game will definitely be talked about during the three-hour, um, uh, technically it is real, super extravaganza show uh, here that is happening next week on February 12th. And then also, this is another game we're going to break down as well, largest Super Bowl comeback in NFL history and the very first and to this day only only overtime Super Bowl in league history. Yes, five years ago today, the Atlanta Falcons blew a 28-3 lead and the Patriots came back one 34 to 38. 
in overtime to win the game and win Tom Brady's fifth out of seven Super Bowls. That game was an all-time classic, and I actually remember sitting there uh, watching it with my brother and his friends and uh, his wife and everything like that. And I remember just sitting there, I was like, everybody's like, yeah, Atlanta won this, game is over. And I just looked around at everybody, I'm like, no, it's not. Man, it ain't over. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And then they started coming back. So if Kyle Shanahan would have just ran the ball in field goal range instead of passing again, Matt Ryan taking a stack, the memes would not cease to exist. Uh, let's move on to February 6th. The NBA expands uh, to a total of 18 teams with Buffalo, Cleveland, Houston, and Portland joining back in 1970. We all know about the Cavaliers, our beloved Cavaliers, the Houston Rockets, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Buffalo Braves, who would later become the San Diego Clippers, which are now known as the Los Angeles Clippers. They are the only team from this expansion list that is not in their original city. Also, happening on this day back in 2005, the, the New England Patriots become an official dynasty, winning three out of four Super Bowls, beating the uh, Philadelphia Eagles 24-21 in Jacksonville. Deion Branch was named the MVP of that Super Bowl. And Super Bowl 45, Aaron Rodgers' only Super Bowl appearance, Aaron Rodgers' only Super Bowl win, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers 31-25. Aaron Rodgers was the MVP of that game, uh, and they had beaten the Pittsburgh Steelers and Jerry World um, that on this day back in 2011, 11 years ago uh, to the day. That is crazy. Um, yeah, this this week, especially the first three days, are a lot of Super Bowls uh, that happen in play. Uh, let's go February 7th, Super Bowl 44. And in Miami, Florida, the New Orleans Saints complete the magical run that they had just four years after Hurricane Katrina. They win a Super Bowl for the city of New Orleans, Drew Brees was named the MVP, beating the Indianapolis Colts in that high-power offense, 31-17. to And we all know about the surprise play, about the surprise onside kick that happened uh, to start the third quarter, to start the second half. What a gutsy call by Sean Payton. And it definitely bought... Uh, it definitely bought them more time. It got them an extra possession, and it kept Peyton Manning on that sideline for almost an hour in real time. So that happened as well. Also, what happened, Super Bowl 50, uh, the Carolina Panthers lose to the Denver Broncos. Von Miller was MVP of that game, 24-10. And that what happened on this day as well, last year, February 7th, the Buccaneers beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and Tom Brady gets ring number seven. Ring number seven. Tom Brady has more championships than the next franchise has Super Bowl not just NFL championship Super Bowl only wins we're gonna go oh you know next week we're gonna dive into the NFL championship argument because I'm tired of people who miscorrecting that as well so um that happened on February 7th February 8th um the very first NFL draft happened on this day back in 1936 of significant moments Jay Burr Wagner from the University of Chicago was the very first player picked in the NFL draft. Nobody can take that away from him, and he never played a down in the NFL. He did not want to play. Didn't want to do it. So so that kind of tells you how far the NFL has come. I'm pretty sure if the NFL, if, if it was what it is today, um, and Jay uh, Burr Wagner would have came out, he, uh, he definitely wouldn't have passed up on the opportunity, but he passed up on it nonetheless. And also happening in 1945, Paul Brown agrees to become Cleveland's new AAFC expansion team, which would later be named right after him. He agreed to take the job, very first Browns head coach in NFL history, uh, in Cleveland Browns history. 
um, happened 1945. And you got to sit back and say this. What a run he had. One of the greatest head coaches of all time. And Paul Brown is absolutely responsible for the name of the Cleveland Browns. And they and he is also responsible for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's move on to February 9th. We have the 47th annual NBA All-Star Game that had took place here in Cleveland, Ohio, 25 years ago as the Cleveland hosts the All-Star Game for this year uh, as well. And um, let's move on to February 10th. To um, basically, and and this and this is something. Matter of fact, we're gonna skip February 10th because this is gonna be a talking segment uh, coming up into the next segment. So that's why we're gonna skip this real quick. But let's go to February 11th, and uh, James Buster Douglas had knocked out Mike Tyson in the tenth round to win the uh, boxing heavyweight championship of the world. Everybody knows about that infamous fight, one of the biggest upsets still to this day in sports history. Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson and also Bill Parcells became the head coach of the New York football Jets back in 1997. We're going to go into a little deep dive about that, too, because Bill Parcells taking that job ultimately led to the Patriots dynasty. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what the WWE did back in 1989 in a New Jersey court right here on Technically Israel on North Coast Underground. We will be right back. My name is Judy Teeter and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, loves sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to school. We were going through a green light when another car ran a red light and hit us, killing Joe. The National Safety Council estimates one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. Visit nsc.org. Slash calls. Welcome back to Technically It Is Real. So why did I decide to skip over February 10th? Because on February 10th, the WWF at the time, now WWE, had decided to gain to gain deregulation. They had to admit that pro wrestling was an expedition, expedition and not a actual sport. So basically what happened prior to 1989, at least in New Jersey, and kind of like really what happened today really started slowly becoming a sports entertainment company. Hence why they go under an entertainment company, and we all know what it is. The show is named off of what my response and what most wrestling response is uh, to when people say it's fake. Well, technically, it's real. But they did not have to answer to athletic commissions. They did not have to answer to athletic commissions. There are different rule set standards when you have athletic commissions, including how things are ran, prep, uh, prepared, and everything in between. So... Um, they to, in order for them to kind of like not answer the to to athletic commissions and be in a different tax bracket and everything like that, WWE basically say, "Hey, look, like this, do we're expo- exposition. We're, we're we're not we're not really, you know, what I'm saying we're not really a sport. Kind of a smart thing, you know. You make more money being an entertainment company. Uh, certain states you can get tax free stuff off of rentals and stuff like that. All you got to do is say, "Hey, we're shooting a film here," you know. Like I think like Ohio. I don't know if it's just a Cleveland thing or it's a Ohio thing, but that's why a lot of movies uh, do decide to shoot here because there are there there are a lot of tax breaks that the filmmakers and the studios can get away with because of the simple fact of them saying, "Hey, look like." 
you know, this is basically, you know, where we're using this and, you know, we're film, we're filming and all that other stuff. So, um, obviously, though, that's one of the things that WWE wanted to do. And they and to this day, they don't have to answer to athletic commissions. They are considered a entertainment company. So, therefore, they don't have to answer to athletic commissions. I know a lot of wrestling fans don't like that, but it's just a cold, hard truth. And so, AEW had a lot of time, had a lot of hard time um, actually... Uh, getting certain things off the ground running, they actually got into a lot of trouble with certain matches because they were not F, uh, they were not approved by certain states' athletic commissions. So they had to be be very careful for that. Also, let's talk about Bill Parcells taking the job back in 1997. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because of the simple fact that the Jets hiring Bill Parcells inadvertently led to the 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 Patriots dynasty. Now, how does that happen? Because Bill Parcells comes in, gets hired in, he brings a staff. Part of that staff was Bill Belichick, and they rebuilt the Jets into and from a laughing stock to a actual legitimate contender. And a part of that was the Jets defense and Bill Parcells. And Bill Parcells had already proven that he could actually coach in in the in the NFL. So when when Bill Parcells decided to step down because at the time he believed he was going to retire back in 2000, he already rebuilt the Jets. They asked him, hey, like, is there is there anybody, you know, that you can think of? Because, hey, you really turned this program, you really turned this franchise around. And he said, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick will take the job. All you got to do is offer to him. He'll take the job. Now, a lot of people don't know this or seem to forget this. <laughs> Bill Belichick was head coach of the Jets for less than three days. Was head coach, and we're talking about signed, sealed, and delivered. Everything. Had a press conference. Had an introductory press conference to be the head coach of the New York football Jets. And within three days, he wrote on a napkin and was like, deuces. I'm out. I'm gone. See you later. Robert Kraft offered me a better deal, better structure, better better organization. I'm going to New England. That's what started the Patriots dynasty. And Mo Lewis hitting Drew Blesso and almost killing the man. So, um, yeah, if, if, if the Jets doesn't hire Bill Parcells, who knows if Bill Belichick has an opportunity to prove himself again to be a head coaching candidate, and which begs the question, Where's the Patriots dynasty? How many teams win Super Bowls? Do the Panthers win a Super Bowl? Do the Eagles win two Super Bowls? Who knows? Who knows if Tom Brady becomes the GOAT? Who knows if Tom Brady becomes the GOAT? We don't know. And it's going to be weird watching football without him. Been watching football for 20, 22, 23 years. Tom Brady's been there my entire life. So, um,. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen with that. But who knows where Tom Brady would have been? Does Tom Brady go to the Jets if Bill Belichick stays? We don't know. Does Bill Belichick get another head coach job? Do we get one of the most iconic moments in sports history where we get an introductory press conference and then less than three days later we get a resignation press conference on a piece, on a piece of napkin? Do we get any of that stuff? We don't know. But we do know one thing. The, the, the Patriots dynasty started because of the New York Jets. <laughs> and and if, you are the, if you are a New York Jets fan, sorry. <laughs> I mean, just 
for the most part, consistent mediocrity for for the last 22 years. You know, some playoff appearances here and there or whatever it may be, but uh, <laughs> New York Jets started the, the Patriots dynasty in more ways than one. Everybody talk about the Mo Lewis game and the Mo Lewis hit, and here comes Brady. But it started with them hiring Bill Parcells. Because when Bill Parcells got hired, he brought in Bill Belichick to run that defense. And that defense was great. That defense is good. And them defenses are not talked about. Those Jets from ninety from ninety eight, ninety nine and 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 all that stuff, nobody talks about those Jets defenses. Those Jets defenses were amazing. Those Jets teams were good. They were they were a bunch of fighting underdogs. So um yeah, they don't hire Bill Parcells. Who knows where the NFL would be at today? Who knows? Who knows where the NFL would be at if if Bill Belichick decided not to resign? Who knows? You know what I'm saying? And and that's and that's the crazy part about how things can happen. And um, you know, it's one of those things where I'm a firm believer in the butterfly effect, uh, the butterfly effect, because it can it, it just takes one event, it just takes one thing to kind of like spread everything out and cause this to happen and that to happen and this to happen. So I mean. Bill Parcells is like I said. Bill Parcells doesn't get hired. Who knows? Who knows what uh, what happens with that? Nobody knows because nobody knows that Bill Belichick gets a second opportunity. Um, he wasn't really sought after uh, highly after after uh, his tenure with the Cleveland Browns. Um, no, before they moved to Baltimore, and um, you know who who knows? Like honestly, who knows how many how many how many organizations? Are missing rings because they ran into the Patriots at some point. How many? How many? I mean, the the one question I can answer for sure is that the Steelers are not missing two uh, rings because they, uh, you know, ran into the Pittsburgh. I mean, into the New England Patriots um, dynasty because every year that Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers went to the Super Bowl. And went two and one. They did not have to run into the Patriots not one time. The Patriots either did not make the playoffs. Or they got eliminated before they can even play them. And they, they probably would have got beaten because uh, Pittsburgh's never beaten New England in the playoffs since 2000. Like, think about the AFC Championship game in 2002. New England Patriots beat them. Think about the AFC Championship game that, that got them to, um, should have been, that, that game got them to uh, Super Bowl uh, 39. The Patriots beat them. Uh, any other playoff appearance that the Patriots and the Steelers played against each other, the Patriots beat them. The Steelers, any time the Steelers ran into the Patriots, they could not beat Bill Belichick and the Patriots. That's with Bill Cowher and that's with Mike Tomlin. Mike, I mean Bill Cowher. I mean, uh, yeah, Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin. I mean, Bill Belichick is the Pittsburgh Steelers' daddy. That's that. That's his child. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He owns the Pittsburgh Steelers year in and year out. Every time they play, especially in the playoffs, that they that they play each other, it would probably be different now, but. You can see who's the better coach out of out of those two. Like Tomlin's a upper echelon coach. Tomlin's one of the best head coaches uh, in the NFL right now. I would even put him up there as he's a top twenty-five head coach of all time. But when it comes to Bill Belichick, he ain't got nothing on him. He ain't got nothing on him at all whatsoever. So who knows? Who knows if Carolina has a ring? Who knows if you know that? Which means Jake DeLone will have a ring. Which means Steve Smith will have a ring. Who knows if if the Rams dynasty would have kicked off, you know, and then that's another thing too. Like, like where's Ricky pro's legacy? Where is Ricky pro's legacy at? Because it is. And it, it, like, we'll, we'll break down Ricky pro next week. You definitely want to tune in for Ricky pro. Cause that is one of the most clutches 
wide receivers that don't get no credit because Tom Brady drove down the field both times and and basically ruined everything for him. Um, so, I mean, who who knows? I mean, Ricky Pro already has a ring, but who knows what would have happened um, with the Rams? Does the Rams become a dynasty? We don't know. All because the New York Jets signed Bill Parcells and opened up the doors for everything else. So when we come back, we're going to talk uh, about the AFC and NFC championship games. You know we got to talk about that. And then also, we're actually going to steer away from the sports talk a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, the two of my favorite Kendrick Lamar albums, which is Good Kid, Mad City, and Damn. We'll be talking about that and why I love each album and which album uh, I prefer as well. You are listening to Technically Is Real here on North Coast Underground. We'll be right back. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For, for taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot. For leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And, and now, as a grown-up. I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom, for taking you to your therapies, for understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, Sarah, I'm dropping you at Emily's, and Josh, you're going to soccer, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, and by the way, when I pick you up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep, me and my short shorts doing my daddy dance. Your friends will love it. No! Well, I might change my mind if you buckle your seatbelts. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Whatever it takes, keep them safe. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. Welcome back to TRR. So we got about a, about a little over a half hour left. So let's talk about the AFC and NFC Championship games and the two representatives going to the Super Bowl, the Los Angeles Rams and the dark horse of the entire playoffs would be the Cincinnati Bengals. Two four seed teams going to duke it all out at SoFi Stadium with the Rams being the hosting team to play in the Super Bowl in SoFi Stadium. So let's get into the AFC side of things where the Kansas City Chiefs opened up this game firing on all cylinders. Patrick Mahomes, the first had 12 or 13. 12 or 13 through like two, three touchdowns. I mean, my God, that man was on fire. But let's give Cincinnati this credit. They was able to drive down the field, get the touchdown to make it 21-10, and then turn around and stop the Kansas City Chiefs at the goal line. Matter of fact, they stopped the Kansas City Chiefs at the goal line twice. They stopped it at the beginning of the half, at the, at the end of the first half, and they stopped it on that fourth uh, fourth quarter drive um, towards the end of the game where uh, Buckner had hit the game time field goal. Uh, Cincinnati made adjustments. Cincinnati played well, especially on the defense side of the ball. Once they made the adjustments that they needed to make and got uh, Patrick Mahomes in that offense fluster, and they really played their zone defenses to a T. Um, the the uh the the Cincinnati Bengals offense at times they were looking good at times they was it, it got stalled out that's kind of like what Cincinnati's mo has been all throughout these playoffs but the one thing about Cincinnati the one thing about Cincinnati is that they may not be playing the best football they may not even be the best team they're, they're damn sure not the best team out of everybody out of the AFC yes they won the AFC but if you're looking on paper they're damn sure not the best team out of the AFC on paper they're damn sure not playing the absolute best football but 
they are playing the best situational football. And what I mean by that is, is that through three quarters, whatever it may be, or whenever they need it right at the right time, they get points. On the offensive end, they get points, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown. And matter of fact, it comes kind of perfectly. When they need a touchdown, they get a touchdown. When they need a field goal, they get a field goal. But that defense, that defense will let you drive down the field. In the fourth quarter, let you get right there within inside the 10-yard line and was stifle up and play great defense. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, Kansas City ran it from six minutes and four seconds all the way down to zero seconds in the quarter to end, to end the regulation. And Cincinnati, they got down there in the five, and Cincinnati held. And they got that huge strip sack that almost got recovered by Cincinnati to even end the game in the first place. So you got to give them that. And then overtime happened. Overtime happened, and they was, again, able to stifle Patrick Mahomes. This this Cincinnati team is only rushing three players, four at most. They're not bringing all-out blitzes. They're not bringing linebackers in. They're not sending five, six guys uh, into into, uh, Patrick Mahomes. They're rushing with three guys playing zone defense and making sure they got a safety over the top on Tyreek Hill, make sure they're doubling Travis Kelsey, and let everybody else beat them. They did exactly what they were supposed to do, and including that interception. Again, you got you got Tyreek Hill one-on-one, He's gonna, he's, and Mahomes is going to throw it to him, and what do you know? You got a safety sitting right there, sitting right there chilling, waiting for you to throw it to to um, <laughs> to, to Tyreek Hill. And that play almost didn't happen if Eli Apple didn't drop the one interception. So give, give Cincinnati this. One, that fan base deserves it. I don't, I'm not a fan of Cincinnati, whatever it may be, but that fan base do deserve it. You got to acknowledge it. You know what I'm saying? And, um... You got. You just got to acknowledge it. You just got to acknowledge it, and they're playing the best situational football. There is no doubt about it. Because if they're not playing the best situational football, they wouldn't be here. They they should have been out after after Tennessee, and they're not. And they're not. And it's like, yo, they they are playing excellent football at the right times. They may not play excellent football through through four quarters, or look the sexiest, or look like yeah, this team is unstoppable, but. You know what I mean? When it matters most, including that offensive line. The offensive line has been bad. The offensive line is bad throughout the year. The offensive line was bad throughout the playoffs. Like, they only allowed two sacks against the Raiders. I think they only allowed, like, three or four against uh, Joe Burrow. And they allowed nine um, against, I mean, three or four against Kansas City. And they allowed nine against the Tennessee Titans. But, when it again, when it matters the most, you're not touching Joe Burrow. That offensive line steps up to the play when it matters the most. That's the crazy part about all of this. Is when it matters the most, there is this Cincinnati team that gives everything that they got. Everything that they got. They may not be the best. They may not be the worst. They may not be the sexiest. They may not be the most flashy. But my God, does this team have grit. They got grit. When it matters the most, this team tightens up and they play excellent football unmistakable football and Joe Burrow is something else that's a cold man that is a cold man Joe Burrow is something cool calm collected confident but not cocky Joe Burrow is something a leader in that locker room Jamar Chase is something else 
and don't give Jamar Chase all this, all this, all this crazy, you know, hype and all this other stuff. Because I remember y'all, I remember y'all calling him a bust at the two preseason games. Y'all were calling him a bust, and they and everybody got mad because they didn't uh, go draft uh, Salou. Y'all was calling him a bust. Shh, shh. He ain't a bust. He proving it. He's breaking records left and right. This, this is crazy. This is crazy. This Cincinnati team is crazy. You got to give the Chiefs kudos. You got to give the Chiefs kudos. I was afraid. I was afraid that Cincinnati would lose this game. Because I always say, hey, it's hard to beat a team twice. It's damn sure hard to beat a team twice in your same conference, but not your same division. Mm-mm-mm. And then let's go over to the Rams. Let's go over to the Rams. The Rams handle business against the San Francisco 49ers. They handle business against the San Francisco 49ers. And, um, you know, I, I think it's I think they needed to do that. They needed to handle some demons. You know, 0-6 going into that game against the San Francisco 49ers. I thought Jimmy G played a solid game. Um, I thought the San Francisco defense played well. Um you can't knock Jimmy G for making that throw. I mean, it was a crazy throw, but it's a catchable ball. I mean, it slipped right through the wide receiver hands and into the interception. And the Rams' defense played played excellent. They played excellent. They tightened it up, and the Rams' offense scored when they when they when they mattered the most. This is going to be interesting Super Bowl, and I and we'll get into um, who I think will win and 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 things that I think is going to happen uh, during the Super Bowl on the uh, Super Bowl show next week, the three-hour show that is happening next week. So you definitely don't want to miss that out on my opinions on that and everything in between like that. So you got to give the Rams this credit. They That offense is crazy. And Odell is fitting into that offense perfectly. Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup, but Odell, nine catches, 109 yards, a touchdown. Odell is something else. They did that with no Higby. Nobody knows if Higby is going to play next week. On February 13th. Nobody knows. And they did that without Higby. I mean, Odell is something else. And I knew Odell would have a great uh, production uh, with the Rams once he got acclimated into the system. There's no surprise. Odell is a generational talent, and we did not know how to use him. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about Good Kid, Mad City versus Damn. Uh, final thoughts and opinions as well. And just a little bit of touch up on uh, pushing the social media and stuff like that. You're listening to Technically It Is Real here on North Coast Underground. You wanted to see me? Yes, please, have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to the show. So real quick before we continue on, you can listen to the replays of the show, of the live version of the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or uh, Apple Podcasts. Pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast from, you can listen to the show. Just type in Technically It Is Real in the spurt, in the search bar to get that information as real. Also, follow the official Technically It Is Real Twitter page at all capital letters, 
T-I-R underscore five nine. Also, you can follow me on Twitter as well at Tyrell W. Jackson one. Those are those things like that. Like I said, next week, three hour show Super Bowl. Technically, it is real extravaganza. It is going to be amazing. Three hour shows talking about best Super Bowl moments, unforgettable Super Bowl moments, forgotten Super Bowl moments. Talking about this upcoming Super Bowl itself, it is going to be a big three-hour show. I've been waiting to do this show for a minute, and now it will come next Saturday. So you definitely want to tune in onto NorthCoastUnderground.com. Uh, just hit that Listen Live button. Uh, if you're on your computer, it's going to be in the upper right-hand corner, and then click on North Coast Underground. If you're on your cell phone, it'll be at the bottom of the screen. Hit Listen Live. The tab will slide over, and then just hit North Coast Underground to listen to it live as well. Or on um uh for my facebook friends you can just uh listen to it and watch on the facebook live stream like i said doing this show i got people coming on if if they don't show up guess what we're still gonna do the three hour super bowl extravaganza show no doubt about it at all so those are just quick little snippets uh about about the show episode 18 of the show will be uploaded today I know that happened two weeks ago we had the little facebook live stream last week uh but i know like um Episode 18 is not on on Spotify or anything like that yet, but it will be uploaded today. And then episode 19 will be uploaded probably tomorrow or Monday, uh, depending on how you know fast I get that done or whatever it may be. So let's close out this show, non-sports related at all. Non-sports related at all, because this was on my mind, because these are two similar albums, but nonetheless, classic albums. I'm talking about all-time classic albums. Damn versus Good Kid, Mad City. And I'm just going to say it right off the bat. Good Kid, Mad City is my favorite album from Kendrick Lamar ever. And like I like To Pimp a Butterfly. But I think it goes Good Kid, Mad City, Damn, Section 80, then To Pimp a Butterfly. That's just my personal opinion. But I think each, each album has its own direction, has its own story. And it came out at the right time. Like, to Pimp a Butterfly came out at the exact right time. And that album is one of those albums that has aged very well because I would sit back and say this. It's aged it's age well. It's not my personal favorite, but I don't get mad at people if they sit back and go, oh, well, The Pimp Butterfly was better than Good Kid, Mad City. I don't blame them at all because The Pimp Butterfly was more of a, of a social uh, album for the black community and everything like that. It was the perfect album for the perfect time and has aged so well. But Good Kid, Mad City... Very first album, which is Shireen, a.k.a. Master Splinter. That was the very first song. It opens up with this banger. Kind of sets up everything that is going to be happening. The skits that happen before and after the songs and everything like that. I mean, this album, I've listened to this album time and time and time over and over and over again. I'm talking about not a skippable song, especially when you got Swimming Pools, Art of Pill Pressure, Sing About Me, I'm Dying to Thirst, Don't Kill My Vibe, Money Trees, Real, you got um, you got Compton, you got, I mean, my goodness, you got The Recipe, you got back a Backseat Freestyle on that, on that album, you got, it's just crazy. You got Poetic Justice on that album with Drake in there. Like, that album from beginning to end is just absolutely amazing, absolutely a phenomenal. I consider it one of the greatest hip-hop albums of all time. Not a skippable song, whether it's on the original version or the deluxe version. Not a skippable song. He even got a song with Mary J. Blige on the du- deluxe uh, edition. I mean, this album, to me, 
not just hip-hop, not just rap. This is one of my favorite personal albums of all time. Like, it just, to me, is one of those albums that there's not a lot of albums from any genre. And I listen to a lot of music. I listen to a lot of different genres of music. And I've listened to a lot of albums. This is one of those ones that there's not a lot of albums that touch this one. Like, Damn comes pretty pretty close. But Good Kid, Mad City, to me, phenomenal. I mean, it puts you right in what Kendrick was going through in Finland at the time. Arctic Peer Pressure, to me, highly underrated. One of Kendrick Lamar's most underrated songs to me is Arctic Peer Pressure. It is absolutely a masterpiece of a storytelling song. There is no doubt about it. And it just starts off with him being excited about being with his boys and everything. And it just trickles down from, from that to him getting into something that he wasn't supposed to be getting into. And he realized and he's like, oh man, I got myself into this mess, man. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I'm in it because of the art of peer pressure. Sing About Me, I'm Down to Thirst. Uh, you got to listen to section 80 to get the, especially the second verse of, of Sing About Me. Uh, you got to listen to section 80. Uh, and it's called Keisha Song. You got to listen to that song to get the second verse of Sing About Me. You got to listen to uh, the ending of Swimming Pools, the extended version. There's a skit where the first verse all ties into play. Trust me, the storytelling in that song, top notch. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, this this album is like top to bottom. Top to bottom. I'm sorry, there's not a lot of albums that touch it. There's not... Not a lot of albums, and I know a lot of a lot of people are fans or uh, of to, to Pimp Butterfly. Even if you go on the J Cole side of 2014 Forest Hill Drive, like a lot of people are fans of those albums. A lot of I've heard a lot of people say uh, Forest Hill Drive is a better album to get Good Good Kid, Mad City, and I, I wouldn't fault them for that because one, that's their opinion, and two, they that's a good opinion. But to me, Good Kid, Mad City is just that album. But damn, it's good too. I mean. It's, it's, it's very similar to Good Kid, Mad City because damn is like, like Good Kid, Mad City is Kendrick Lamar and his point of view of how he's seen things growing up in the environment that he grew up in and some of the mistakes that he made that led him to the events of Good Kid, Mad City. Damn is more of a intake personal thing of his own personal feelings of going through that experience. So to me, I've always felt like damn is like low-key a... Um, an extension of Good Kid, Mad City. That's why I wanted to focus on these two albums because I do feel like it is somewhat of an extension of Good Kid, Mad City because it's, to me, it's taking what Kendrick basically went through in Good Kid, Mad City and now it's infusing his personal feelings, especially when you got Humble, God, Fear, Duckworth, Loyalty, DNA, just to name a few, and Lust. I mean, my God. This album is amazing. And playing the album from beginning to end and then playing it from end to beginning, which is the deluxe version of the album, is flipping the, the order of the of the album. It works out so beautifully, so well, so perfectly. I mean, again, one of those albums, not a skippable song. But especially when you got Humble, God, Fear, Duckworth, Loyalty, Lust, DNA. I mean, whoo. This album was a cold album. It, I mean, another album great of its time. Me personally, I'm a Good Kid, Mad City fan over Damn. I'm actually a Good Kid, Mad City over any of his work. Over any of his work. That's Section 80. That's that's Damn. That's the Pimp Butterfly. That's his, his stuff with uh, the Black Panther um, uh, mixtape album track or whatever it may be. I mean, to me, Kendrick Lamar, one, 
one of the greatest to ever do it. I think it's time to say it. One of the greatest to ever do it. Kendrick Lamar is one of the greatest to ever do it. He's one of the greatest artists of all time of hip-hop, or just music general. To me, in general of music, Kendrick Lamar is one of the greatest of all time. And when you got Good Kid, Mad City, and you got Damn, and you got Section 80, which a lot of people, a lot of people do not talk about Section 80. Y'all need to go listen to Section 80. Y'all need to go listen to Section 80. Section 80 is one of those albums that is just amazing. From top to bottom, Section 80 is fire. It is fire. It's highly underrated. Section 80 came out before Good Kid, Mad City. Highly underrated album by Kendrick Lamar is Section 80, um, for sure. So, like I said, Good Kid, Mad City, my favorite album. But, damn, it definitely deserves his uh, respect and that regard and everything like that. So, this has been another installment of Technically It Is Real. Like I said, you can follow me on Twitter, Tyrell W. Jackson 1. Follow the official Twitter page of Technically It Is Real at T-I-R underscore 5-9. Also, Three hours next week, Super Bowl extravaganza. Technically, it is real. We're going to have some guests on here, hopefully. I think we're going to have some guests on here, and it's going to be a great show. Best moments, worst moments, best Super Bowls, worst Super Bowls, underrated moments, unforgettable moments, forgotten moments, best games, talking about the game itself, everything. Three hours, not one, not two, three hours starting at 10 a.m. Guarantee next week from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., it is going to be absolutely lit. Definitely don't want to miss out on that show at all. Like I said, on your on your podcast formats, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, Anchor, you can listen to the replays of this show. Just type in technically it is real in the search bar. It'll pop up as well as like that. So you know how we got to do it here on Technically It Is Real. We play y'all with some RMG. We're going to play y'all with no problems by this group. This has been Tyrell Jackson with Technically It Is Real, and it has been real, and I am signing off. You all have a great week. See you next week. You have finished listening to another presentation of Technically It Is Real on NorthCoastUnderground.com. I have been your host, Tyrell Jackson, and it has been real. Go Browns, Cavs, Guardians, and Fighting Irish. Have a great week, everybody.